Welcome to Exploring Beyond the Edge with Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Are you ready to explore the conscious path around you? Open your heart and mind and awaken your curiosity? You've stopped into the right place. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Andrews. Hey there, this is Cynthia here with my co-host Colin Andrews. And so thank you to our friends and family and all the interested people who for tuning in tonight. Um, so we had some really great questions about last week's show, and I even managed to get them into our Facebook group discussion. Not sure how I did it, but it's there. So be sure to check out Explorations and Energy Facebook group and you know, request to get, to get invited in because we are going to be having a very good discussion. And also our course in Energy Basics is starting soon, so check it out on my website, explorationsandenergy.com. So we have an honored guest here tonight, um, Mr. Mark Crowley, who is the author of the best-selling book, Lead from the Heart, and we are very excited to be producing this show on the eve of the United States elections. It was kind of a great piece of synchronicity when we realized that and hope that it helps get us all out to the polls tomorrow. Um, If you have any questions during the show for Mark, um, please call in at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email questions to energyexplorations at gmail.com and just put radio question in the subject line so I know what's going on. So Mark Crowley, our guest tonight, is not only a best-selling author, he is a consultant who is recognized globally as a thought leader in the corporate world. He has been spotlighted in Forbes. He's been interviewed in innumerable magazines, including Fast Company Magazine, Huffington Post, Reuters, CEO Magazine, Great Britain, and many more. His book is used in university business courses. And in tonight's program, we're really excited that Mark will share some of the scientific research into the intelligence of the heart and his conclusions of the importance of the heart in leadership. So, Mark, Colin, and I would like to welcome you so much, and thank you for being here tonight. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Mark. It's my pleasure. Thank you both. Oh, well, Pleasure. you know, your book is so important, and Colin and I have both read it and talked back and forth on different things, and there's so many different directions we could come in to talk with you, but, you know, for those who really don't know, we thought it might be good to start at the beginning of your story, and, you know, the first sentence in the introduction of your book, I was raised by wolves, you had me at that moment, it's a brilliant first sentence, (laughs) and I was really happy that then you later clarified that wolves are actually very nurturing parents, but your parents certainly were not, so we thought maybe you could share a little bit about your upbringing and how it impacted your approach to leadership. Okay, Um, so all sorts of things went through my mind just listening to you, and I will say that there are some clear spiritual aspects of how I got where I got to um, that maybe we can explore here. But the the big picture is, is that I was born into the world with a loving mother who happened to die when I was very young. So I had the experience of of knowing her and remembering her, but she died right after my ninth birthday. And from that point forward, I was raised by my father, who was a surprisingly successful person in light of the fact that he was 
extraordinarily psychologically abusive. He was mm-hmm. really determined as I had to uh, reflect on you know, my upbringing and writing the preface of the book, which, by the way, I had never intended to do. This is one of the <laughs> spiritual components of this. I had a yeah. person in my life who told me that I not only needed to tell the story in my book, which I didn't want to do, but that I had to do it then. Like, you have mm. to stop what you're doing and write it. And it was one of the most painful things I've ever done. The yeah. most difficult aspect of writing the book was to tell this story again and relive it. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, you live your life in sequence and you're not really thinking backwards, you're thinking forwards, at least That's as right. a child and young adult. And so as I reflected on it, it was, you know, I thought it was going to kill me to re- retell that story. But mm-hmm. what happened was that my father really was intended to break me down, really cripple me to, you know, sort of um, make sure that, in his words, he, he told me over and over that I would never amount to anything and that I would be mm-hmm. a miserable failure in life. And he told it with such venom and such hatred. Oh, and mm-hmm. he really did do an enormous amount of harm to my self-esteem and well-being, but he uh, then it turned out that while my mother was in the hospital dying of a really, really bad cancer in those days, mm-hmm. they didn't really have the treatments um, or the hope of survival that they do today, and so she sort of withered away over a period of months while he was having an affair mm-hmm. and married a woman who moved into our house a few months later and had the oh same my. disposition he had, so oh he was my, no former or kinder or generous with me, and uh, so being surrounded by enemies, if you will, was was mm-hmm. difficult. But my dad was well to do, and despite the fact that he told me I'd never amount to anything, he also told me that he would put me through college. And instead, a few weeks after I graduated from high school, actually just a few days after. When I thought I was getting ready to go to college, my father told me that I was on my own. And Mm -hmm. uh, just in the spirit of telling the story quickly, I will say it. I was literally on my own. Two days later, I was out. I never went back for a holiday, a birthday. I saw my father Mm -hmm. just a few times and no money for first and month's rent or backup money. I had no money to, to live on my own at that point and no college tuition. But I was principally motivated to get through college just to prove to him that I wasn't the, you know, the, the miserable mm-hmm. failure that he had predicted that I was. And mm-hmm. it was sort of this binary motivation that I had, which was to say that if I didn't graduate, I was convinced that he would be right. In other words, I would let him right. be right. Right. So I went, in fact, I just worked really, really hard, and I struggled, and I don't know how I made it without getting kicked out of college the first year. But over time, I kind of put the pieces together, and I actually did really well and went to a wonderful university. Um, but at graduation or right around that time, I came to realize what deficiency I had in my whole upbringing. I could see the advantages that other people had, and I'm not talking mm-hmm. financial. I'm talking about mm-hmm getting thoughtful direction and having somebody encourage you, somebody applaud you when you did some things well, and somebody who could sort of be there for you if you struggled, uh, you know, someone who had your back. Mm-hmm. So I can't explain it to this day, although there's a part of me that believes that I have the parents that I had and the upbringing that I had just to bring me to this point. I needed to suffer that way so that I could have a greater understanding of what people needed in their life. And as I started to manage people, so I graduated from college and I started to manage people, some unconscious motivation said, give people everything you always wanted 
in terms of the support that you always felt that you missed out on, but more importantly, that you identified as being some something that would have made you infinitely more successful than you were at the time you graduated mm-hmm. from college. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't aware of it, and I'll fast forward and tell you that it wasn't until someone who had worked for me for nearly 20 years when I was in my early 40s said, you really manage people very differently, that I came to fundamentally understand that my whole childhood and upbringing had influenced me to lead in a way that um, was not just tied to my childhood, but that the real grand conclusion was that everything that I was giving people in, in terms of safety and support and care and um, coaching and you know accelerating their development and seeing their potential and making sure that people felt that they knew that they could trust me and all of those kinds of things, people scaled mountains for me. And they mm-hmm. scaled mountains for me no matter what I did, and meaning whatever job that they were doing, whatever I was responsible for, I got the same reaction. And mm-hmm. so really what it pinned down for me, and I'll stop here, is to say that Human beings, all of us, you, the three of us, and everyone listening, we never outgrowing, never outgrow needing this very support that I was giving them. And this is why people scaled mountains. This is why people soared for me. And this became the foundation for my book. That's very touching. Yeah, very much so. And, and it really highlights that you, you led yourself out first. You led yourself out of a place of deprivation and psychological torment first and using the same principles that you then um, offered to other people. Um, you know, pretty, pretty impressive. It is. And you, the thought, too, is that from one came many. Right. I mean, the quality of what clearly has been refined within Mark produced many similar through his teachings and his his right. spiritual spiritual approach to the world right and and that actually takes me to uh, to something that struck me very much in your story um, in in the book which is what I call or what is called I think in the world the power of one how one person can make a complete difference in your life and in your life you talk about that one person being your best friend's mother and how her interest in you um, may have been you know a pivotal uh, piece for you and so I'm just wondering how your leadership approach really reflects that idea of the power of one. Well, I think it's the juxtaposition of, so just a, a quick synopsis of the story. My stepmother mm-hmm. came into my life. Um, my parents got married in late December, near Christmas, and so it's cold in New York. And yet she told me that as soon as I came home from school that I wasn't able to be in my house and that I needed to find some place to be until 7 o'clock when my father came home from New York every night. And that just was overwhelming to me, to be honest with you, and terrifying because it's cold out. You can't be outdoors during that time of year, and where am I going to go? So I went next door where my best friends were, where I'd always gone, but I always had a sense that there was an inevitability that she was going to say, hey, Mark, i got five other kids here. You can't come here every day. Mm-hmm. But um, there was this moment where I was just dreading it, and she called me upstairs. We were down playing bumper pool, and she said, come on upstairs, Mark. And I knew what it was. And I went into this den and sat down, and she just looked at me, and she said, Mark, I want you to know something. I want you to know you're welcome to come here every day. And I, looking back, don't really know if I ever told her what was going on or if she was just Mm -hmm. smart enough to observe it. But it was this 
you know, the safety net, this person who chose to add a sick son to her, her family and yeah. encourage me and make me feel safe. And that went on for quite some time. And so I had this alternative universe where I was loved and somebody saw my potential. And I told that story in the book specifically because of what you just described, Cynthia. Um, it, it never underestimate the impact that you can have in somebody else's life. Yeah, you know, I ran into yeah. that concept at a pivotal time in my life when I read a book, you know, kind of one of the motivational books at the turn of the century um, called The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Scovel Shin. And in that book, she, she makes the statement that if one person holds you in a vision of wholeness, you cannot fail. And it stopped me in my tracks because it made me think about how did I hold the people in my life? My, my husband at that time, it was a difficult marriage. I thought of him in terms of all the failures. I thought of my parents in terms of all the ways they hadn't supported me. And when I read that one sentence, I decided, I made a decision that I was going to be the person who saw the wholeness for the people in my life. And, and that has really become the hallmark of, of my medical practice is that I hold that space of wholeness for my patients. And um, it seems to me that that's exactly what you do for your employees. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll say just to fast forward from pre- preface to conclusion that um, as I look back, you know, I'm getting a little longer in the tooth here and I've got mm-hmm. enough experience behind me where I can look back and say, what added value to my life? What what's what sustains me? And I don't really remember the sales records that I achieved. I know that I was very recognized and got big promotions, and you know I thrived in my career. But really, truly, what makes my life worthwhile is knowing that. I was that person in many people's lives where I mm-hmm. saw their potential and drew it out, made them see it, and mm-hmm. then they're off on their own. They're, as you say, it's, it, you, it, you just turn a switch in people. One person is all it takes, and they spend the rest of their life believing in themselves, in their own potential. They, they achieve at levels they didn't imagine, um, mm-hmm. and that, I think, is like the most satisfying part of leading people anyway. Oh, that's really, uh, that's, yeah, so so if we then take the principles that you developed, and I'm looking at the clock here, we have about three minutes to, to break, but um, could you really quickly say what your four principles are that you have developed that you use for your, your le- leading from the heart? Um, well, we, I'm, it's kind of hard to do that in three seconds. I know. So um, <laughs> as we head into the break here, let me, let me just sort maybe of um, maybe help a transition to where we're mm. going to go next, which is to say that um, a friend of mine told me that I was going, as I was writing the book, he said, you're going to have to explain why this works. And I didn't really know what that meant. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, people are going to think you needed a shitty childhood in order to lead this way. If you want other people to lead this way, they're going to have to understand why it works. And it never crossed my mind. And so I started thinking about it for the next, really, for the next two or three days. And sitting right where I am, looking right where I am, it hit me. I, I realized I was affecting the hearts in people. That's what I truly believe was that I was affecting people so deeply that it was getting a response out of them that was transcendent. 
Yeah. And I think that is sort of the, the sort of the great epiphany to come from my whole life experience. And so I ended up spending another 16 months doing research to prove that that was actually the case. Mm-hmm. And your and this this approach actually does improve businesses' bottom line. Is that would you say that that's true? Irrefutable, and I can give you many examples of it um, if if you'd like. But the the succinct answer is it is absolutely irrefutable, and the only reason that people aren't doing it is because. We've always taught that the way to get productivity from people is to manage with fear and intimidation, pay them as little as possible, squeeze as much out of them as possible, and it's really hard to break that in a culture where that's gone on for decades and even longer in some cases. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really has to bottom up, it has to bubble up, and the great news is that the generation the millennials and now Gen Z, they were raised in ways where they were coached and supported in such great ways relative to you know my generation, baby boomers, and all the predecessors that they just simply won't work in a place that doesn't really support them as a human being, and they are willing to leave and quit. Where my generation said, I'm grateful to have a job, and I'll suck it up and take whatever comes my way. They're mm-hmm. like, if I don't get what I need, I'm not going to stay. Mm-hmm. And I used to yeah. think it was going to be noble CEOs that would change their companies. It, they're changing their companies because they're being forced to. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that change that comes from the bottom up is more significant change and long-lasting anyway. So it's kind of cool that it's going that way. But so, you know, thank you. Thank you, Mark. And thank you. To all you people listening, we're heading into the break. And um, so you can see Mark's work and you can reach him at his website, markccrowley.com. You can find his book, Lead from the Heart, at Amazon, and I highly recommend it. And if you are interested in talking to Colin, you can reach him at Facebook. On Facebook, yes, or colinandrews.net, the website. Yes, and so stay tuned to the next section. We're going to be talking about the electromagnetic field around the heart that conveys the intelligence of the heart. And thank you very much. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, 
You'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to energyexplorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. So welcome back. We're talking tonight with Mark Crowley, the best-selling author of Lead from the Heart. Um, Mark, in your book, you you say, you know, your basic kind of premise seems to be that the heart is the driving force of human achievement. And so it seems like whether we're talking about corporate workplace or, or a sales team or even the citizens of a country, that a leader must engage people's heart in order to sp- inspire their best performance and outcome. Would you, would you agree that that's your, your main message? Yes. Well, that was well, clear. That was short. <laughs> well, hello and goodbye. If you want me to explain it, I, I'll no, tell you the history no, of this. So, no, I, no, absolutely. Right before the that break, was, I told you that this friend of mine, a close friend of mine who yeah. was paying attention to my process of writing the book, told me, you're going to have to explain it. And then I had this epiphany that I was leading, that I was affecting the hearts in people. And I literally went and told my wife that I had wasted a year of my life because um, the traditional business world from which I had come would find that laughable, that we don't bring the heart into business. We think it's soft and weak and sentimental. And Whoever would say lead from the heart doesn't get business, has never worked in business. Uh, and we just keep our feelings out of work. We don't get close to people. This is our traditional way of managing. And I really, truly got very, very depressed for yeah. about three or four days. And my wife had the insight. She goes, well, you've been managing like this your whole life, so all you have to do is find some evidence. And I was like, oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, I already know this to be true, so there has to be some evidence for it. Yeah. So I reached out to a world-class cardiologist, cardiosurgeon, where I live, um, and basically just told her, this is my leadership thesis. And I'm wondering if there's any medical science that might be able to confirm what I what I have experienced. In other words, that I was I affecting the hearts and people. Is there science to to demonstrate this? And so I met with Dr. Mimi Ganeri. She's a she was at the time at Scripps Clinic in La Jolla. She was the head of the Center for Integrative Health. Um, she's an Andrew Weil disciple. Graduated number one in her class at NYU. And she just said, "Look." You know, you're on to something here, Mr. Crowley, because we're just figuring this out in science ourselves. And she said, we, you know, when I went to medical school, we were always taught that the heart had nothing to do with our humanity, just treat it like a carburetor. And then she said, as I started working with patients and asking them about what was going on in their lives, I found out they were in deep financial difficulties, they had alcoholism or really bad marriages or something great stress in their lives. And she said this repeatedly happened, and I came to realize it's impossible for a pump, a heart mm. pump or a carburetor, if you will, to respond to people's biography. Biography can't be changing people's biology, i.e. creating heart problems, if there's 
if what I was taught is true. So I don't believe it's true anymore. And then she started looking at people's conversations, and we say things like follow your heart, have a change of heart, learn it by heart. Why do we say these things instead of, you know, if we truly believe that the brain really drives everything? And, um, you know, some people have told me that they can't find proof of this, but Dr. Ganeri in her own book said that, you know, when they opened up a heart 300 years ago for the first time, they couldn't distinguish any form of intelligence. And so it was just a creed that the heart was a pump and that all of our cognitive ability is in, the, in our brain. And so now there's just been research done where multiple um, institutions are saying, no, 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 the heart has its own intelligence. And uh, interestingly, you know, one of the most, I, I'll, I'll talk about heart math in a second, and I know you want to talk about them, but one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had, and I wrote an article about this, and then I recently had him on my own podcast, but Dr. James Doty, who's a world-class brain surgeon, has come out and said uh, in a New York Times best-selling book, Into the Magic Shop, that the heart is much more important in driving our choices and our, our motivations and what we care about in life. The heart is much more of a driving force. So when you have a brain expert saying that, that's pretty compelling. Yeah. Um, but in, in, in the process of meeting with Dr. Ganeri, she said, I want to introduce you to the Institute of Heart Math because for the past 30 years they have been studying the intelligence of the heart and they can do some real great help to you in writing your book and help validate that what you're trying to convey to people is actually true. Very interesting. In relationship to your comment that heart is the driving force of human achievement, um, I mean, can we expand the heart principles model that you've referred to in the book, and again, this evening, to include the product, especially if the product is known to have a negative impact on society or the environment. So we're looking at people separated from product. At the end of the day, for the larger good, one in that equation presumably would have some consideration for the final analysis, which is what impact do these people via the product have upon society and the environment, which is the crossroads, I think, the crossroads that we are at today. Um, do me a favor, Colin, just to explain a little bit more about what you mean by the product so that I can answer your question. Yes, yes. I, I, I didn't kind of want to be too specific in so much as, but I will be, let, let, so that it is clear. I mean, if we take an organization, a corporation like British Petroleum, very large um, company whose output and efficiency deal with the production of oil and gas. And so therefore, if we're looking at improving the productivity of the staff, uh, you know, their, their employees via the principles that you're adopting, that it would that would lead on for us to assume that their efficiency by your help uh, is improved, which 
regrettably crosses that barrier between the product that they're producing, it has a negative impact upon our society and their environment. So it's really, can we kind of come into the into version two, basically? Is there a different way of putting well, that? Yeah, Cynthia? I think what Colin is really trying to say is you have expanded the the um, basis of, of a company from the shareholders and the CEOs to include the workers, and can we expand out one more circle and include um, the consumers and the environment and right. the community that the consumers live in as part of... of um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really talking about a life strategy here and applying yeah. it to, um, to leadership. So my big concern is that we have every possible metric that shows that people are really unhappy at work across the mm-hmm. world. And, yeah. and not only yeah. that, but we're starting to see uh, incredible instances of... of um, well-being deficiencies tied to stress, drug addiction, suicides. You know, we've, we have yeah. a sick society, and work yeah. plays a huge role in that because of the amount of time that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, you know, to kind of answer your question, Colin, it's like you look at oil and you say, well, we, we really need to move away from that. Um, but at the same time, we as a society still need that. And mm-hmm. so people who work there could be, uh, a wise CEO would say, hey, for as long as we're producing oil, let's do all we can right. to demonstrate to, to our customers that we're doing it in the right way and that we're looking for alternatives, and you know what I mean, so that yes. it becomes a meaningful experience. But I think the big, the big answer here is that, um, and this kind of goes a step back to what Cynthia was getting at, I think is just that, we know that feelings and emotions drive human behavior more than anything else. It's not an appeal to our minds. So, you know, managers say, you know, Colin, if you do X, Y, and Z and you do it really well, you could be up for a bonus or you might, you, you know, our customers are going to be really happy or we could get a 3% market share instead of two. And it's all of yeah. that. And it, none of that sinks into people. Much better to say that um, in the process of us meeting our goals, you're going to have an opportunity to grow, you're going to have an opportunity to develop, you're going to be rewarded financially, but you're going to have a much greater opportunity to expand your knowledge and well-being in the process. So people can say, wow, there's like something in it for me, and I'm I'm excited about this because I want to commit to this because there's something really good about this. How we treat people, how we make people feel has everything to do with it. Whether or not people yeah. are enjoying this conversation has nothing to do with what I'm saying. It's how what I'm saying makes them feel. Absolutely. And this is this is what we need to understand. And so you mentioned politics and the elections. You know, regardless of what side you are, people are feeling angry. They're feeling mm-hmm. mad. They're feeling hostile towards other people. You know, we've got this sort of craziness around how we are um, responding to the political environment, specifically because our political leaders are making us feel this. They're, mm-hmm. they're making us feel fearful. They're making us feel anxious. They're making us feel like the other is out there to get us. And uh, this is another arena where we're suddenly, I think, realizing we can't do anything effective in this world with leaders like that. We need That's leaders right. who are going to bring people together yeah, and sure see all human beings as being equal and having an opportunity to contribute. That's really the model we're going to need. 
Yeah, yeah well absolutely. Said. And, um, you know, that t- kind of in a way brings us back to heart math and the electromagnetic field of the heart. And I wonder if you would um, share some of your work with uh, with uh, heart math and, and the co-founder who you quote so, in your book. Um, so what happened there was that uh, Dr. Ganeri introduced me to a gentleman named Bruce Cryer, who was one of the uh, co-founders. And uh, he chose to, this is sort of one of these other synchronicity experiences that I had throughout writing this book, uh, that he would not only speak to me, but that he willingly said, I'm going to mentor you so that you get the science right. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the process of that, after the book came out, he introduced me to the head researcher, another co-founder who's still in the organization, Dr. Roland McCready. And uh, I have met him Personally, I have written several articles tied to his work and recently had him on my podcast. And essentially what he taught me is that the heart and the mind are connected through what he what, what is called the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And that the heart actually has a feeling-sensing organ and that it is sending signals to the brain and vice versa. So they're like, you know, like a team, if you will. And mm-hmm. they're, they're sharing communication with the heart, sending more communication to the brain. So the feelings are influencing the thought, and then the thought influences our actions, if you will. But mm-hmm. what Dr. McCready told me was that when people are feeling an experience of positive emotions, so we know this from positive psychology, that positive emotions were all hardwired to thrive on them. And that when we're, you know, experiencing them often, which he pointed out to me, he said, everything you did as a manager was giving people this repetitive experience of positive emotions. And Mm -hmm. so whether you realized it or not, which of course I didn't, he said, you're setting people up because in a very positive way, because what happens is that there's what HeartMath calls coherence. So when that communication between the heart and the mind is in this ideal possibility, ideal setting, Mm -hmm. it puts people into their optimal levels of performance. And the way to get there is through this experience of repeated positive emotions. Mm -hmm. And so that is really the profound understanding here is that when we're coaching people, when we're encouraging people, when we're making them safe, when we express appreciation to them, when we're teaching them, when we're doing anything that gives people joy and excitement and other experiences of positive emotions, we're putting people into their optimal level of performance. So what he Mm -hmm. said to me was, you're putting them into coherence, and by doing that and sustaining that, you're allowing people to optimize their performance, which is no surprise why every team we ever managed excelled and why you kept getting promoted. And the funny thing is, when my book came out, people thought, what happened to Mark? Like, mm-hmm. leave from the heart. Like, did he have a breakdown or something? <laughs> and they never realized this is what I was doing all along. And a doctor, right. you know, um, um, Roland McCready basically said, you know, it looked instinctive to you, which is why people couldn't tell but your people could tell because of how you made them feel. 
Mm-hmm. So you use the term coherence, and coherence is generally considered to be a field effect, that when you have have fields oscillating at a different rate, they come into resonance with each other, into coherence with each other. Um, and, and in that coherence, transference can take place. And I think that's interesting because HeartMath, I, I believe, does talk a fair amount about creating, that the heart itself creates an energy field and that that energy field, um, that electromagnetic energy field has a greater radiance than the energy field of the brain. Am I getting that science right there? You know, I'm not a scientist, but I am very familiar with that. And I, I, I forget that I remember when Bruce and I were working together, he told me that, you know, it's not an aura, it's a real mm-hmm. electromagnetic field and it, and it extends, you know, three, four or five feet. So mm-hmm. that people can feel it. You can walk into a room and you can feel what's going on there. You know, if you're attuned to it, you can tell if there was an argument, you know, moments before or if people are joyful, you mm-hmm. kind of walk in the room and go, oh, you know. that. But I also think, and this is the non-scientific Mark speaking here, that this exists. The, the, the heart's ability to feel, if you will, mm-hmm. transcends the in-person thing. It comes mm-hmm. through in how your emails make people feel. It yeah. comes through in just how you say hello to people. People have yeah. an instant feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really about being intentional about how do I want to make someone feel. And mm-hmm. if you want to make them feel you know, really good and happy um, and safe around you, th- then you know, you'll instinctively know how to do that. But it's the intentional side of this. You know, like for example, every time I send out an email, you know, when I'm doing when I was doing it professionally, I had a, a, a very good friend of mine who was my former executive assistant for 15 years. She edited my book, and I would just send them to her and say, "Tell me what you think." And many times she'd come back and say, "Do you want them to feel bad about this, or do you, you know what are you trying to get?" And I always believed that feedback helped me edit a few words, change the phraseology, and make sure that when people were reading it, they were getting the energy that I was trying to convey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Maybe in just five, ten seconds, an experience that I've had from time to time in talking to, you know, sometimes quite large audiences, a couple of thousand people, I would find that in talking through maybe an hour, two hours or so on on subjects that I've I'm known for, uh, there would come a moment, and I always recognize this, it took me a while, but it was always there, that when there's a specific, profound truth being told, you know, the deep, overwhelming truth, that there would be a coherence come about the audience, and it would be that deathly silence, mm-hmm. that hush where you could hear a pin drop. And it was always when I knew that I was... I have reached a very deep and profound truth. Hmm. Totally right. agree. Yeah. Well said. Thank so you. we're going to be heading into break now. And thanks, everyone, for, you know, don't go anywhere because we have a lot more to talk about. We have a short segment ahead, but a lot more to cover. If you want to reach Mark again, it's at his website, markccrowley.com. And check us out on explorationsandenergy.com, and you can contact Colin on Facebook or his website. So we will see you in a minute.
Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. It's time for you to take a sweet and honest look at your life. Tune into Living Within the Sweet Spot with your host, Nikki Klegel. Each week, Nikki invites you to call into the program where she will connect with each listener to show the power of God's love in every unique instance. There are gracious gifts and elements of power within each one of us. You just need to discover them and find your life's purpose. Live healthier and happier. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Exploring Beyond the Edge. To reach Dr. Cynthia Andrews or her guest today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to energyexplorations at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. So welcome back to our final segment with Mark Crowley, um, best-selling author of Lead from the Heart. Um, you know, one of the things that, that strikes me, um, Mark, you know, in your book you refer to thought leaders in, in, in consciousness such as Gary Zukov or Deepak Chopra. You, you know, you refer to Daniel Goleman's work. And, you know... It's like it had to be kind of difficult to, and we've mentioned it a little bit throughout the talk tonight, but it had to have been kind of difficult to stand up for these ideas in the business environment. Could you talk a little bit about what you need needed to pull forth from yourself to do that? Uh, that's, that's actually a, a really big question. And mm-hmm. I guess the first thing I'll tell you is that I paid a um, marketing strategist of a large amount of money. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that she would help me strategize on how to get it introduced and, you know, basically marketing strategies. And she came back after reading everything and reading my articles and reading the book specifically. 
And she told me with no, with absolute, I mean, brutal directness <laughs> that I would fail if I used mm. the word lead from the heart. Um, the word heart is, she, she said, you will fail. And you're going to fail so badly and that I'm just going to tell you, yeah, I know you don't want to um, hear me, but I'm telling you that's plan A. And if you want plan B, I'll give you one. But she didn't really want to give me plan B. She was so certain. And uh, it, true confessions, she, I wasn't, she wasn't entirely right, but she was very accurate in the sense that I was going to be met with a lot of resistance. And it's not resistance like, I'm just going to speak, I hope I, you know, it's not BS. It's just stupid. That's, it's like we don't do that. So mm-hmm. you just hear the word heart and you automatically turn off. That's, that's what she was alerting me to, and that has been the, the case. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of mentioned, you know, sort of the spiritual aspect of this, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Gary Zukov and, you know, with, with anything that's non-traditional business in a leadership book. And it's like, are you just trying to set yourself up for failure, Mark? You know, yeah. but... Um, but really what it came down to me and so why I didn't, why I wrote her the check and, you know, choked on that, knowing that I got really nothing out of this in terms of really clever marketing ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. it really boiled down to what I was learning from heart math and what I also just truly believed from my own experience was that it's all about the heart. Mm -hmm. I can't hide behind this. And so I will say that it has been very difficult for me to, um, to, to ride this wave. I've been very successful in my career. Mm-hmm. And I have a speaking agent who a few years ago, gratefully, told me that he's never had somebody have more support. And by the way, he represents all the top speakers around the world. And he mm-hmm. says, I've never had anybody get so much interest only to not get the, the speaking opportunity. They would mm-hmm. narrow it down to you and somebody else and then take the safe person at the last minute, mm-hmm. which was incredibly disappointing. And I oh, said, well, yeah. why is that? And he said, because at the last minute, they're thinking about you on stage and they think you're going to start singing Kumbaya and you're, gonna be, <laughs> you're not going to get business and this is a business meeting and they're just afraid. Yeah, And so my whole strategy, so I'm not moving away from the spiritual aspect of this, the very mm-hmm. clear spiritual aspects of what I'm talking about. The heart is, you know, throughout history, we've always believed that the heart was our connection to our higher self and to our yeah. human spirit and so forth. So while I don't emphasize that, I'm not backing away from it either because I think people are desperate for this. I think people are wanting this and wanting somebody to say it. And yeah. so I finally decided I'm going to be the person who's going to say this, and one day people are going to say, lead from the heart, of course. Good and I think you. we're kind of moving there. I agree completely. I think that it is a, it is the the you're on the front of the wave that was always going to come, and, and that was a beautiful place to be. It was, absolutely, conveying your truth and being courageous enough to do so. I mean, some of the terminology, I think, well, we don't think, we now know, of course, that some of our governments um, have um, organizations that engineer society, engineer terminology, and some of those terms, uh, you know, they've been very effective with. You know, heart meaning new age kind of love and so on. Uh, You know, there are two places one can apply it. 
um, and it's engineered to have an effect as and when it's desired. So I, I, I take my hat off to you, credit to you, that you've held the ground. It's no time to be, uh, you know, shades of black or white. You need to be right there with who you are, and you are who you are, and uh, I give you credit for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that, that when we talk about the electromagnetic field of the heart and the idea that when you walk into a room, you can feel what someone is radiating, um, you can you immediately have a connection. And to me, that really demonstrates one of our our precepts that we talked about in our first program about the fact that we are all interconnected and what one of us does impacts the whole group and what you're doing and how you are helping other people step up into their truth and and listen to their heart in business and outside of business I think is really a wonderful thing so kudos to you I wonder how we finished up being where we now are. I mean, we've moved, it would seem, and I agree with you, Mark, that um, predominantly, I think companies, um, politics, I mean, let's face it, it's across the board, that we have moved from the the heart to the head. I mean, the younger generation, as you were saying, are a different kettle of fish, and I do hope that uh, they are our hope as well as their own. But uh, I wonder how we've, we finished up where we have spent so much time uh, in our heads. It's, um, it's a hard way to live by numbers. You know, numbers is not what we're all about. It's feeling, it's emotion. Well, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. There's a Sioux Indian proverb that says the hardest journey you'll ever make is from your head to your heart. So mm-hmm. apparently, um, as humans, this has been a challenge for quite some time, right? Um, yeah. But I think, you know, for me, I look at it as a microcosm and I say, okay, what was it that brought me there? And what mm-hmm. brought me there was, you know, being beaten up as a child mm-hmm. and, and suffering. And I think people are suffering daily at work. I, I, and, and, and I have a very large, you know, Twitter following and I interact with, with people regularly all over the world. I have a podcast that's been now heard in 92 countries and I hear from these people and everything we're talking about here is universal. It's all mm-hmm. about being human and no one is happy going to work and we spend six times more, you know, six, six times more hours uh, a week, a month, a year at work than we do with our families. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's going to be a rising, if you will, where people are just going to say, this doesn't make any sense. I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. I'm no. not willing to do this anymore. And I'm praying it's the, the, the two generations that are in the workplace just now starting and the ones that are coming behind it that are forcing organizations. Because it's not going to take too many companies mm-hmm. to prove that this works for mm-hmm. other companies to have to adopt it in order to compete. If you're yeah. getting beat for the best people and your products are more innovative, I mean, Google is a perfect example of this. Lately, they've done a few things that have um, sort of challenged their own values and have sort of really upset some of their employees. But if you look at their 20-year history, they have done this really wonderful balance of doing incredibly innovative, mind-driven work Mm-hmm. motivated by people who are being cared for and supported on the level that affects their hearts. And it's supposed to be both, right? We don't want to That's go right. from all mind to all heart. We want to go to a balance. 
put mm-hmm. them both together and use them both. Um, it would be just as bad if we were all heart. Um, oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It is all about balance, and, and that is the ancient wisdom is, is that balance. And, you know, one of the things that impressed me, um, too, that you added in your book was the research that has been done about agricultural animals. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite an animal person, as is Colin, and I think the way we treat agricultural animals is is one of the greatest stains on our on our consciousness and yeah I totally I totally agree but yeah the, the the essence of that was that when you give a cow a name it it produces more and I think you know if you look at business we call people human resources or inputs and you know it's a lot easier to lay off an input or you know cut back on on personnel than to think about a human being and what is happening to that person um, when you let them go and take their job away and the harm that that does and the harm that it does to everybody who sticks around. I've always believed that a layoff was like a tourniquet. It's the last thing you're going to do. You know, if you just have to do it in order to survive, you're going to pay a dear price. But if you do it as a tool... Um, you're never going to have anybody trust you again because they're always thinking I could be next. And so people are living in fear and that you marinate in fear. You're doing enormous harm to people physically, emotionally, spiritually. And it's really about just looking at people. I'll tell you, there was an organization called SAS. They were the, they are, um, an software analytics firm. They're, they were the first global best global workplace, repeatedly one of the best places to work in America. And when the recession hit, and it hit their industry hard, and all their competitors were laying off thousands of people, the CEO said, I'm not doing it. I'm not letting anybody go. Mm. He told people directly, no one's going to lose their job. He said, innovate, use this time to build products that we can take advantage of when the markets turn around. Please don't spend any money. And the company is thriving today. So it's great. You know, it's a choice. It can't all be about, you know, returning to shareholders. There's other constituencies here. And if you think of all of them, if you think about how you make a customer feel and how you make a shareholder feel and how you make an employee feel and not one of them dominates that conversation, you're going to thrive. Mark, can I just break in? Uh, sorry to, break, to, to to break your flow there. I think we're just a few seconds to the end. I think if I could just close in comment, if I may, to, to hand it back to Cynthia. Each of us are powerful beings. History has shown that the ones who think they can change the world are the ones who do. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, Mark. And, you know, as you said in your book, uh, the best leaders are those who elevate the spirit. And you are such a leader, and we need those leaders in in our government. So look for that elevation of spirit tomorrow when we all go out. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Please come back next week. We have Dean Radin, the chief scientist of Noetic Sciences Institute, who will share the science of telepathy, precognition, and much, much more with us. Mark, it was a tremendous conversation. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Mark. You're so very welcome. Thank you for having me. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Exploring Beyond the Edge is heard every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next program, Dr. Cynthia Andrews wishes you a great week. Thank you.